Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Well, a few words before we get started. My new book is getting closer to completion, and I've been editing and cleaning up the final chapters, and I know you're going to like it. It's called All in the Same Boat, Lead Your Organization Like a Nuclear Submariner, and it's full of lessons I learned living and leading on a nuclear submarine during the Cold War. Now, each chapter has four sea stories from my time in the Navy, and then two stories of how I applied those concepts in the business world. It's going to be available for pre-order in the next few months, so uh, you know, stay in touch, keep in touch with me on uh, social media, and you'll hear more news about the uh, launch. And you can also go to allinthesameboatbook.com and get more details. In fact, there is a link. You can sign up for a newsletter for special discounts and updates about the book's release. So make sure you subscribe to this podcast or follow me on all the socials to get more details on the upcoming book launch. As always, if you want to support this show, please visit my sponsors, BottomGunCoffee.com and IHaveTheWatch.com. Both use the discount code DEEP at checkout. Well, that's it. Uh, today's my guest is Peter Himmelman. He is a Grammy and Emmy-nominated musician who is using his passion for music to help leaders and entrepreneurs think more creatively. If you've ever wondered what prevents us from turning our dreams into reality, this is your episode. Peter helps us unlock the creative side of our mind and chase after the things that we are really passionate about. This is a powerful episode that every leader should hear. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Peter Himmelman. Peter is a founder and CEO of Big Muse, an organization that helps companies translate their vision into reality by allowing them to create more fearlessly. He is a Grammy and Emmy-nominated musician who has turned his passion for music into a methodology to allow people to tap into their creative side. His 2016 book, Let Me Out, Unlock Your Creative Mind and Bring Your Ideas to Life, presents science-based techniques and simple exercises to get unstuck and unlock your creative potential. I'm excited to have him on the show to talk about the creative side of business and business leadership. So, Peter, welcome. Thank you very much, John, for having me on the show. I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited as well because um, you you have a really interesting background. You're a very successful musician that made a pivot. You decided to take what you learned from writing music and performing music and bring it into the business world and bringing creativity and the idea of creativity into business. So why did you make the shift? Well, I, I look at it more like a less like a pivot and more like sort of like an octopus. (laughs) I've grown another appendage, which, Mm. which worked synergistically with all the other things. So it's just, it's a, it's more of an, an addition And the other thing I think about that is, uh, you know, being in music is being in marketing. Mm. Being in music is being in strategic thinking, you know, just the construction of a song. Um, You mentioned how people in the military are always on time. I said, like, you know, I was there five minutes. Five minutes early is on time. Yes, you were. (laughs) I think that's a lot with you know, the musicians that I play with, they take it very seriously. Mm. Um, you know, the idea of showing up, being rehearsed, uh, because when you're, when you're in front of a, you know, an audience, you're almost, uh, you're not at war with the audience, that's for sure. But you are, you are battling in some metaphorical way, not only for people's attention, but the, but the essence of what you're trying to do is elevate people's consciousness mm. you start with your own you know you start with right, yourself right. 
And then, you know, people want to transcend their moment. They want to transcend that the circumscribed sense of self. And that's what I think, you know, most people are trying to do to help people. Businesses are trying to help people enlarge their sphere of life. You know, if you had to generalize, it's no right. different with music. Well, and I imagine with music too, there's instant feedback, right? I mean, to um, when it, when, you know, first of all, you're working as a team, right? And there's instant feedback when things don't go right. And when, you know, some, someone doesn't do what they're supposed to do, there's, there's, you, you feel that. But then also if you create a product that, you know, nobody cares for, it's, it's instant feedback, like, you know, in terms of, uh, and I think that's in business as well, too. You make a, you make a marketing ad and you, it doesn't, you know, nobody clicks on it. Right. So you get that instant feedback, like, Oh, we, we made a mistake here. So we've missed something here. Right. And, it, and the idea of, you know, sometimes I'll do a solo show, but playing with other musicians, it's a really, uh, I think to use the word intimate is not mm. hyperbolic and people are, you know, musicians are so connected even if I sort of shrug my shoulders, the drummer will know he wants it to go quiet, more quietly, mm. or to speed up. And it becomes sort of like a unified organism in a certain way, mm. which is a really, I think, a high-level experience that anyone probably knows that's been on a super high-functioning team. You know, sometimes there's arguments and fights, but once it sort of rolls, it's like, wow, mm. this is much stronger than I could ever be on my own. Mm. I No, I, I, I understand that completely. I think back my days in the Navy as a submariner, when we practiced and, tr- and drilled for um, casualties, for example, flooding, fire, you know, reactor scram, all these things. But when we, you know, by the end of a patrol three months at sea, we were just like, you know, we knew how each other would think and where that we would move to just head motions and we knew how to operate. So it was just, you know, I used to, I used to sit back and just watch it. It was just like art. Everybody knew where to go and what to do. And because it was just practiced and it was uh, muscle memory and we just sort of all, you know, and we worked as one organism almost. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I've never played in a band, but I uh, have that sort of similarity. I've never worked in a submarine, but this is this is the bridge, you know, right. to be seen desperate, disparate, you know, things. Yeah. So, so, um, you know, I was thinking about this as I as I listened to your book. I listened on Audible, and um, you know, it really makes sense. You know, the idea of of writing music, being creative, and how and how that translates into the creativity in business. So talk a little bit about like what's what's the process for you know writing and creating and how does that translate to to businesses and business leaders and the things that they're trying to do in their companies. Yeah, I mean for example something I've been doing this week there's a big technology company that has uh you know certain value propositions. And to me, to hearing them the first time, they just seem like very obscure ideas. So kind of one reason they brought me in, and and perhaps maybe one of the largest reasons is just to get a greater sense of cohesion mm. when we're so spread apart from COVID, you know, the sense of right. isolation. Also, people are on Zoom, you know, all day long. So what can we do that's completely different but still connects Mm-hmm. to our vision and, and and will have some utility for us. So one of the things I got them to do is look at their value propositions. And I said, look, I'm, I'm a complete layman. I have no idea what you're doing, which is, which is good. So I want you to take 45 seconds and write down. There was maybe, there was several groups that probably consisted of about eight to six to eight people Write down in simple terms what this value proposition is. Don't give me any technical terms. Mm. And it, and I said, you know, I want you to do it in 45 seconds. Because mm. if you give people three or four or five minutes to do that, they'll start to think too much. And there's something I like about an, an initial reaction from people who are very intelligent, very masterful. Um, what is your, your first blush? That's a very important thing. 
And then I, I said, let's take this sort of idea and bring it up one level of abstraction. Now, I know it's technology, it's database, but what are some of the emotions that you would like to see engendered in your end users, in your mm. clients? I was a little like, what? But they got yeah, that, into and, Yeah, and that's the, really interesting. Yeah, that's... The emotions were, you know, freedom in some cases, security, trustworthiness, mm. hope, uh, joy, allowing people to uh, sort of relax that the structure is being taken care of and then they can become more creative, which was mm. another one, become more creative. And then I led them through this process of, of songwriting. And, and for people that don't write songs, most of these people hadn't, I, I did a, I think it was a fair thing to do to, to use songwriting as a metaphor for the, for their technology and the technology is a song, as a metaphor for songwriting. Mm. So it's it's well understood that every tech company has very intricate and complex structures for what they do. I've done deign to know anything about them. But the the structures are such that the end user shouldn't really be feeling any of the complexity. As not only in technology, it's any product or service, right. but should only enjoy the fruits of what of what this service or product is. The same way with songs, and this is somewhat of a mystery for some people, every song that you've ever heard and enjoyed since childhood, every symphony, every pop song, every country song, relies upon an exquisitely sort of narrow and rigid and dogmatic structure. Mm. Now, there are many, there's almost an infinite number of those structures. But the same way with the technology, we don't want our listener to sense the structure. But were it not there, it would completely fall to pieces. Not, none of the emotions pervade would ever get to anybody. And that becomes the bridge. And I, I gave them a choice of three or four different structures, you know, different you know, blues structures or this or that, you know, and uh, it was a, it was an interesting way for them to open their mind, not only to a different kind of thinking, which can be used when they're creating different mm -hmm. things, even creating relationships with clients, which is a key innovation and a real source for, you know, creativity to be made manifest. But also it gave those people a chance to, take a second look at what it was they were putting into the world. Mm. It's benefit. You know, it's almost like being married as, as I have for 32 years and stepping back and, and really looking at it objectively, which doesn't happen every day. And when you do that, it, I think it strengthens the whole relationship. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I can, I can definitely see that. And I see the, you know, I see the parallels with, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, when you hear a good song, you hear good music, it makes you feel something, right? Like, I'm not a musician, so I could, I wouldn't, I don't know, like, I know, I kind of can guess the instrument, but I have no idea what chords they're playing or, you know, the technique they're playing. So all you get is the emotion out of it. And I think as our, as our companies, I, I'm even in a very, you know, the products we make are for electric utilities. They're very um, boring, but they do create emotions with our, with our, you know, with our customers that, you know, if they work right, they last a long time, there's trust, right? And so we want to build a product that they can trust us with. Really, you know? It's a great word, you know, it's yeah. a great word, trust. And, and I would say in terms of somebody not, say, understanding the technology of music, what, what sometimes is a problem and I, I'm going to talk about it from a musician standpoint and then perhaps relate it to a business person's uh, point of view. If a musician is too mired in mm. the structures and the chords and, and, and all that and doesn't allow the emotions to supersede those structures, in other words, to have the structures underpin what they do, mm -hmm. but become as you are, naive let's say about the about the way it works 
a professional musician desires on some level to become naive again. Mm. Picasso would say, you know, I think I wrote this in my book. I, I like the quote a lot. You know, I could paint like a master as a child. And he really could. Like at four or five, he could paint in likeness of you. And he says, I struggle my whole adult life to paint like a child. Mm. And there's something about returning to this this essential piece. And it, it relates, I remember doing something at Honeywell and talking about some of this kind of stuff. And people had, you know, forewarned me. These are like type A engineers. <laughs> right, right. I was talking to them about, you know, beauty. I was talking to them about, you know, trust. And, and these guys were, became very emotional at some point. They're, they're human beings. Right. And if somebody understands you're not defined by your job. Right. Whether you're an engineer or a musician or that, that's sort of tangential. What's essential is our response, our emotional response to things of, of truth and beauty. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree 100%. Um, and, and this is why I really liked the book, because it really resonated with me from a standpoint of, of creativity. You know, as a, as a writer myself, you know, we talked in the beginning of the show is that, um, you know, there, there, there's these two, you know, there's an like angel and devil. I don't know if it's quite the angel and devil, but it's the muse and the critic on your shoulder, each of your shoulders. And, and the, the muse, when you're, when you're writing and you're in, you're in the flow and you could write and the, and the time just goes, you don't even notice that two hours go by and you're writing beautiful, you know, beautiful stuff. And then sometimes you reach the point where, the critic is just on the other side of the shoulder saying, you know, this isn't good enough. Who's going to read this? Why, you know, who are you to write this? You know, there's 15,000 books written. Yeah. yeah there's 15,000 books written on leadership. Who, who's, why is your voice? I mean, who are you to, to write anything, you know? And um, so what, what's the problem with creativity? Why, why aren't we more creative and what prevents us from being creative? What, what stops us in our tracks? Yeah. I mean, and I would, you know, step back even one step to to sort of quickly define something that's really hard to define creativity yeah. i've spent a long time trying to 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 imagine what it is i'll, I'll tell you what it's not first okay. it's not a guy with a little goatee trying to look cool and wear a hat and he plays guitar uh, that's not creative or a painter or a dancer it has nothing to do with creativity it's a that's a learned skill Hmm. What creativity is, and, and by the way, an actuary, an insurance salesman, yeah. uh, a postman, a soldier, yeah. all these people can evince creativity freely. Creativity to me is very simple. It's a state of mind hmm. wherein this internal critic that you mentioned is not present. Hmm. Or is minimally present. I don't think it ever goes away. And that's all it is. So if you're uh, a salesperson, let's say, and your creativity, you know, your your sense of judgment is kind of swept away, you meet a, a person and you're making a real connection with them. That is the height of creativity. Mm. It's nothing to do with performance. That's how we make the mistake and think that performance activities are are the sort of exemplar of creativity creativity is just it's almost like breathing it belongs yeah. to every human being and i know for many times in my career you know i still got the guitar and trying to look cool but i'm repeating the same thing over and over mm -hmm. i'm not creative i know some drummers are playing the same damn thing for 12 years it's like <laughs> no yeah. And I know some, you know, I always use the word actuaries because that's something that people mistakenly would think, well, that's completely not creative. No, no, right. no. Some of the most creative and funny, gifted people I've ever met. So one, one part of becoming more creative is to understand it isn't the provenance, the privilege or, or the doesn't belong to any one certain group. Mm. Sometimes I'll speak to, to groups and I'll say, how many feel you're highly creative. It could be, you know, a business group and, and, and almost nobody's raising their hand or right. maybe they don't, they don't want to brag, but I can tell they, they don't feel that. And by the end of the session, 
I, I may ask the same question and almost everyone's hand goes up because now they've understood that every human being is highly creative and has the capacity for creativity. Yeah, it's, it's in our nature. Uh, and um, what's, what's interesting, and I like what you laid out in the book, is it's also in our nature to have that, um, that critic. And I think you, you nicknamed him Marv in the book, which I love. You have a name right. for him, or I guess you call him him. I Marv guess is a him, yeah. yeah. And, and Marv, is, um, Marv is the one telling you that, you know, this isn't going to work out. Mar- and, and I like how you said that, you know, sometimes we, we can't really get rid of Marv. Marv is sort of always there, but we can, we can send them on missions. We could give, you know, tell them just relax, read the newspaper, go over here, just sort of leave us alone for a little bit and allow us to, you know, tap into the more creative side. Yeah. Marv was just some idea. I came up when I was teaching a songwriting class in Colorado one time, some workshop. And, uh, I came up with that name and later I came up with, Oh, it's an acronym. Hmm. Or majorly afraid of revealing vulnerability. That was yeah. good. Yes. And I drew a little picture of him, which was not in the audio book. And the, and the idea that I had was that Marv isn't an enemy. You, you don't want to get rid of right. Marv. Right. I mean, as right. if you could. But Marv is there. He's part of our amygdala. He's literally part of our, our you know, limbic or primitive brain who's on call in case a rabid python, I don't know that pythons have rabies, they have to be a mammal perhaps, you know, <laughs> or a bat or something, or a, a, a jaguar is about to pounce, then Marv will take the adrenaline lever and he'll do his job. But the right. issue is now that we've evolved, generally we're not in, you know, situations where we could die. Sometimes, God forbid, we are. But Marv is working way too hard. Yeah. So, so if his job is to save our lives, what's he doing when it, you know you want to read a poem and you're you, you know you're nervous about it? What? Why won't you ever get up and do that? And here's kind of quickly how the logic of Marv is. If Peter, I get on John's podcast and I sound like an idiot. Uh, I will have failed. Mm. And, and the human species is so, uh, so abhors failure. Right. And the reason is because, and Marv is telling this to us yeah. subconsciously, failure leads to shame. Right. That is, shame is anathema to all human beings. It's, right. It's, it's our worst thing. And the reason that it's so bad, Marv posits, is that shame leads to abandonment. Right. And as a social species, we know even from our youngest age that abandonment literally meant death. So Marv is trying to protect us from this mortal threat, in quotes. Right. And and all that's left for us to do, if we're cognizant of it and we catch ourselves being, oh my God, I'm in Marv's thrall, is simply to say... Wait a minute, Marv. This poem or this podcast, it may not go so well, but it's not going to kill me. Right. So why don't you sit aside, you know, read the newspaper, smoke a tip of pillow, <laughs> have something to drink, and give me an hour or two and come back and haunt me later because that's what you do. Right. But it's in those Marv free times that we make things happen. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, that that Marv or that critic, that voice sometimes is good, right? Uh, And sometimes can help correct us a little bit on our path. And and one of the things, um, a gentleman by the name of Derek Lewis, he wrote a book called The Business Book Bible, How to Write a Business Book, basically. Mm -hmm. And he talks about the muse and the critic being the critic, too, is is not always always bad. You know, it's it's there to, to sometimes be a little voice saying, you know, you're you're going off on you're going off in the wrong direction. Yeah, Sometimes to pull I, us I back a little bit too. Yeah, I don't think it's ever it's ever bad, right? You know, somehow you almost have to honor the critic. Sometimes he's working a little too hard, right? And exactly, exactly. There's yeah. a process of well, this is one thing: the differentiation between creativity and innovation, and sometimes they get mixed up. For 
you know, in my conception, creativity is this state of mind. Mm. It doesn't really involve the inner critic. It's best that he's out. Right. But when it comes time to actually taking that state of mind and making something, whether it's an invention or even a conversation, that's when it starts to become an innovation. Right, right. moves from that place. And you don't want to have the judgment in the creativity. You want to have it once you start to tool something together and write something and you start to, you know, course correct it. That usually happens or should happen in the innovation side. That makes a lot of sense. I've seen a lot of these sort of creative uh, spitball sessions where everyone's shooting each other down. You know, yeah. and I and I say, you know, when I do this, you have to reverse the proportions. Generally, we have ninety-eight percent rejection and two percent acceptance of ideas. Like, oh, that's stupid. Whether it's for ourselves <laughs> or somebody else, I'm saying, no, no, no. In this instance, for for this circumscribed period of time, I want to have a ninety-eight percent acceptance like mm-hmm. hmm yeah and and just a little bit like something's completely haywire you know let's mm. all jump off a building or something that you're out but it becomes very delicate when you start shooting things down even in your own mind before they have time to to, to breathe at all we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and enter the discount code BOSS at checkout. Deep Leadership is brought to you by my friends at the Bottom Gun Coffee Company. Bottom Gun is owned and operated by U.S. submarine veterans, and no one knows coffee better than the men and women who serve long hours keeping watch under the sea. Bottom Gun Coffee Company has a variety of coffee blends designed to keep you moving. From Ahab's Revenge Extremely Strong Coffee to their morning blend, Bottom Gun purchases only premium certified organic coffee beans from all over the world to create the finest tasting coffee you will ever experience. It's what I drink every day. Bottom Gun is offering a discount to the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to BottomGunCoffeeCompany.com and enter the discount code DEEP at checkout. Bottom Gun Coffee, the taste that's qualified. So let's shift gears a little bit. You're, the name of your company is Big Muse. Who, what is the Big Muse? Because I I, I want to hear this because uh, well, I have I mean, a feeling. You know, it's just a name. <laughs> yeah. I guess the Muse was uh, uh, a Greek god. Yeah. Uh, you know, just the, the idea that there's something within us that is grasping beyond ourselves, transcending our yeah. abilities. And, and uh, in some ways, there's a theological aspect to it. Um, that when we're really working, as you said, you know, when three, four hours pass and you just, where was I? Right. In some sense, you're reaching beyond your normal sort of state of mind. And this could be hyperbole for some people. Um, I don't really think it is. Sometimes we're given gifts, you know, and you can say they come from God or where, however your your belief system is, but you you know damn well that this was something special mm. in any field, and it could be it could also be in a conversation with a child. It, it could be which I consider a highly creative, or at least a potential for a highly creative experience. That this insight that I've had is coming from. It's so different for me and so rarefied. It's coming from another place. And the more that you have of those things, just like you have muscle memory for other things, you have this, I don't know what you call it. It's not muscular for sure. But you have this 
this openness which is developed and you get that more and more often. It's a very beautiful sort of transcendent experience. Yeah, I liked um, when you were talking about it in the book, I think you were talking about some of the early days playing as a in a in a in a band when you were very young and and you you were playing, I think I think in the early part of the book you were playing for a, a I can't remember what it was, a group home or something like that. But then you yeah. guys, you're playing the same song. You had six songs in your set and you kept playing them over and over again. And at some point, it just was flowing and you're in the moment and you were just enjoying it. It was more emotion than it was uh, music or technique or you were just yeah, sort of. This in, was uh, this was my first paid gig. So we yeah. were 11 and 12 years old. Wow. Somebody heard us <laughs> at our elementary school spring concert, played a couple of my originals and some Creedence Clearwater. And and someone had asked us to play at the Cerebral Palsy yeah, uh, that's what it was. Uh, clinic of St. Paul. I don't know that they call it a clinic. It was really exciting. But then I thought, well, this, is, this could be weird. Right, right. And I remember uh, I was afraid that because whenever somebody would do something, like a waitress would drop, the plates when I was young, I, it was, yeah. I, I was so uncomfortable that I laughed. And I was so worried that I would laugh at these people. And then we came out and we brought our, our equipment and they were touching us. They were reaching for us and, wow. they were, you know, all different people with all sorts of physical and seemed like cognitive challenges. And we were, we were 11 or 12 years old. We were kids. Wow. And it was it was really at that moment we started to play where their enjoyment, these people, they were young and old people, which I guess they didn't have the experience of people coming to play music for them. It right. was to them such a gift. And I looked around at the band. I mean, nobody was laughing. We felt like we were doing something of, of great value. Yeah. And on the way home, you know, the drummer's mother drove us home and we're just quietly looking at each other like, damn. Yeah. It wasn't funny. That was, that was beautiful. Right. Right. It drew it's, out the best of us. It's really interesting. Um, you know, I do, I do some public speaking and um, I know when I'm, when I'm in the flow and the materials come in and I, and I've got the emotion, I see the room and, and, and I, you know, I'm not, not a musician, but I imagine some of that you getting feedback from the crowd and, That's right. exactly. and it's going really well. I, I, I don't know. Sometimes I have that moment where like, I don't know if the critic just shows up every once in a while and just, it just, even in the midst of the moment, sometimes oh, I'll have like, does. did I just say something really stupid, you know, or, you know, especially when I'm, I'm talking to a lot of, I'm on college campuses talking to college students and I'm very worried that I'm going to say something that could potentially be offensive or yeah, yeah. I'm, no, an older, hard, I'm an yeah. older guy. So sometimes, yeah, yeah. you know, I, I'm getting used to being in this new world that we live in. I'm really careful that I'm not saying anything, but you know, like I'm just, I'm in the flow and all of a sudden there's like a moment where like, what did I just say, you know, and then it t- almost takes you out of that. Totally. I'll be playing. And, it reminds me, by the way, of these baseball pitchers hmm. that they couldn't pitch anymore because they started analyzing what yes, was yes. muscle memory. Yes. I'll be playing and it's going well. And all of a sudden I'll be sort of like thinking about what's going on. And yes. Just, yeah. No, but it's nothing's ever that pure in the world. Right, you know, you're, right. you're in, but you weren't completely in. If you were completely in, you'd probably leave your body and die or something. Right, you know? right. you're, so, still, you're still alive, you know, still a person. Yeah, but I do sense that little bit. You know, I was just thinking about because I talked last week. At, I was giving a speech and 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 I just I said something and like my, my voice, you know, there was that little critic said, you shouldn't have said that. Like, like, And then it echoes, shouldn't have said that, John, John, you know, John. Yeah, exactly. John. I'm like, oh, what did I just say? You know, so it like took me out of my... I was in the I was in the flow and things were going really well and it took me back so so I think it's uh I think it's really important I think one of the things you talked about in the book which really resonated with me was how we sometimes like we don't pursue our dreams because we we will we will we will pile up all these excuses and they seem like they're overwhelming but they really aren't like you you know, we, we, we make them bigger than they really seem as a way to sort of prevent ourselves from being hurt. Right. So we don't, we just like, it's that, um, it's Marv saying, you know, protecting us, right. From being hurt. 
And, um, and then if, but it, but it actually prevents us from actually pursuing our dreams and our desires and the things we really want is all these things that we say, you know, you're not good enough or, um, you know, why would somebody, why would somebody listen to your music? Why would somebody read your book? Why would somebody come to your speech? Hmm. You know? And so we're like, oh, well, I guess I'm, you know, I'm not going to do that. Right. And so we, so we, we, we prevent ourselves. And I think you mentioned too, and it's true, it probably happens more and more the older we get versus maybe when we're younger and we don't have those inhibitions and we don't have those, um, you know, the history of maybe having some failure in our lives. So, right. I, I remember when, when, uh, when my book came to the house and signed this pretty nice deal with random house. And mm-hmm. I felt like, wow, this is cool. And the book came and all of a sudden I felt like, I know where this book came from. It just, I just made this crap up. I mean, <laughs> I thought, you know, this is, is going to reveal me as a complete fraud. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the book is, is about how do you manifest these ideas that, that you've had. And one of the ideas I thought about when I got that book is let's do a test right now on this book. Just me. I've always wanted to fly a plane. This has been a huge dream of mine and uh and i never pursued it like you know i don't have math skills at all a little, little did i know you don't really need math skills <laughs> to fly a plane i didn't want to like die in a crash and my wife sure. would be upset with me and my kids Probably. Like, my dad pursuing his dream <laughs> and he died but just as a test i i took a page from the book which was like you're not all of a sudden going to be flying an f-16 do one tiny piece of the dream, yes. which was to sit my ass down on my chair in my office and Google search flight times mm-hmm. in Santa Monica, California at this airport, you know, test flight times. I Google searched it. That tiny thing was so huge because prior to that, there was nothing. Mm. And the difference between nothing and something is rather large. I mean, yes. it's inexpressibly yeah. large. Yeah. And then about a month later, I was flying one of those test flights with this guy named Ruslan. He's from Russia. <laughs> this is a very windy day. I didn't know if I wanted to take you up in the airplane, but I, I decided I will. And uh, <laughs> take it out. You know, he wanted me to kind of take the, Peter, don't use steering, you can only use rudders, it won't do anything for you on the ground, using your foot rudders. And I'm like, oh man, I didn't think I'd be doing this much stuff. He goes, okay, Peter, look, you're going to take, when, it, when I say my control, you answer your control. And when I say your control, Peter, you say my control. Take it down the runway. And all of a sudden, he's going down the runway, and it hasn't even taken off. He goes, Peter, your control. I'm like, <laughs> should I be doing this? I go, my control. And he goes, pull back, pull back, throttle, pull back. And, and all of a sudden, we're taking off. I took this thing and taking off, and I'm like sweating. And I'm thinking to myself, and I goes, Peter, go, and we, we're in... Santa Monica in LA he goes, Peter, follow 101 to the ocean. Follow it. Make sure you look around. Don't just erratically look. Look carefully. Don't use only meters. They could not work. You'll crash. And I'm like, and I was very cognizant of this flight experience was a direct result of sitting my ass on a chair yeah, and Googling. That, you know, like that first step, a little step. Action. I didn't go on to get my pilot's license after that first thing, you know, but I, I did enjoy the experience. So that may happen later. Yeah, that's great. I, I did like that a lot because I think we we can tend to, especially I think maybe the older we get is we'll pile up these reasons why we can't do something or, you know, I, I wrote my first book. I was 52 when I wrote my first book. Right. So, you know, um, do can, you know, teach old dog, new dogs, new tricks. So I learned a new skill. Right. So, and, um, you know, and now after doing it, it's like, Oh, okay, well I can do that now. So I'll, I'll maybe I'll do another one. Right. You know, cause it, like I figured that out. Right. And it, it went into the world and it didn't crash and burn. It was actually well received. I'm like, okay, this is neat. Maybe I'll do it again. So, I think, you know, for those that are listening to to this podcast is 
if you have a deep desire or a dream or you have this thing that you want to do, you know, do it. Take that first little step. Take action. And I like that part of the book. You know, one thing I, I, I think about for myself, I mean, I never talk about stuff that I'm not thinking about and applying to myself. So the idea, this may sound a little bit, you know, a little cognitive dissonance, but sometimes it's our mastery, mm. our success, that is the biggest impediment to our, our forward momentum. Like, yes. I, I'm, I'm so used to doing what I'm good at, Right, getting approval for, maybe a couple bucks for, that I don't want to look like a fool. And I, I did, yes. Uh, yes. from time to time, uh, I will do something at the Army War College in Carlisle. And, and I remember their, their slogan, because I, I mentioned this, we have a slogan here called Embrace the Suck. Yes. You know exactly what you're talking about. And the commandant of the base was like, I want you to have on your nightstand a book that you vociferously disagree with. I mean, mm. in order to counter this cognitive myopia that we get in, that we only are listening to the news that we feel and our beliefs and everything that we yeah. already know how to do, break out of that. Because it's very difficult to look like an idiot, quite frankly. Yeah. Yeah, that's important. I mean, we've got to expose ourselves to different different things. You know, um, that, that comfort zone, you know, it's kind of cliche, but it's actually really true. When you stay in your comfort zone, you're not really growing. You're just sort well, of you're staying, not, you know, you're staying I, like, and, and it's funny. I think, I think I read somewhere like, like firstborn children tend to like stay in their comfort zone. They tend to have one thing they're really good at. And like, you know, as the children, you know, as a progression of children go down, the, the youngest one's always like doing everything, right? They, they're, right. they're willing to try other things. Whereas the first child is sort of just kind of exploring into the world and okay, I've mastered that maybe a little bit over here, but they kind of stay in that, that camp. Yeah. There's definitely something to birth order. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, all those so, things that just have to outgrow. You do, yeah. You have and to I mean, do and whenever yeah. I mention that, I'm I'm so much talking to myself. Oh, me too. <laughs> so, yeah. So Yeah, absolutely. So um so you wrote the book, Let Me Out, and um, you know, who who did you write it for? What what's the uh, who's the audience and what has been the reaction since you put it out there? Well, I mean, it's been a while now. It's came out in 2017. I wrote it for myself because I'm starting to do the speaking stuff, mm -hmm. and I figured, damn, I must as well have a book. Everybody that everybody knows has a book has a book, right? <laughs> and I just went on this riff, and you know, that's that's how I, you know, progressed. So I, I did think there must be a lot of people like me, you know, whether they're young students just starting out or business people. I didn't really write it you know, for business people per se. And when I speak to, you know, corporations, I don't really think of myself as speaking to business people. I think of myself as speaking to human beings. I love that. And yeah. I think we all have the same challenges. Mm -hmm. It's getting to the point where I don't really need to know what the processes are at 3M or something. I mean, I, it, it's, I'm not, why would I know anything about that anyway? That's not mm -hmm. my you know, professed area of expertise. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, that's one of the things in this podcast we talk about leadership as a people business, right? It's not, you know, it doesn't matter what the organization is. It's all about people coming together to do something different, big, yeah. you know, some, yeah, something yeah. innovative. And um, yeah, so the, the hangups that we all have as human beings are, are the hangups for all of us. It doesn't, doesn't matter if you're talking about, you know, accountants or you're talking about artists or, you know, it's the same, Literally it's the same human, same stuff. That's it's the right. same stuff that we're faced with. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I liked, uh, I liked this book so much because it sort of a reminder that all of the things that we're working on, right. All the, the things that we, you know, our creativity is in our business is not, it doesn't necessarily have to be music or art or the things that we think of as, you know, creative. It's, it's everything that we do in our, I mean, I think especially, you know, I think of marketing, you know, it's one of the things I do in my companies we're marketing and, you know, and demonstrating our value to customers. Well, that's a whole creative process. We have totally. to think, I mean, think through, like, you know, right. Yeah. How, telling how do, stories and telling stories and how do we want people to feel? How do, what, what do we want them to think about our brand when they hear our, our brand? What do the colors mean to them? What does the logo mean to them? These are, 
these are essential. These are creative things that we're that we're pursuing, even though we're an engineering company, right? We're we're, we're you know embracing these very creative ideas. Yeah. yeah. Well, very good. So, what are you working on these days? Well, you know, uh, as a musician, all the musicians are grounded now. I, I just, know. This I heard is from my agent. He's like, "Well, 2021 is out. I thought the oh. vaccine would come sooner." Yeah. Um, you know, I keep working on another. I, I have a follow up book to let me out. Oh, nice. And I started as a as a follow up on creativity, and I showed it to an editor, and. She looked at it and she goes, I, I really like this book, but I don't think it's about creativity. I think it's about spirituality. Oh, interesting. And she said, I think you should position it as a book for spirituality for young people. Okay. Because it's the only market in books where they're actually looking for something. Mm. And she goes, uh, the, the word that I used throughout the book was about creating creative courage. She said, just try supplanting spiritual courage and see what everything that you've already written. It's taken me not long. This has taken me about seven years to follow up. It's a lot more challenging because <laughs> Marv's on my back. Well, is this, is this as good as that? Is it, you know, right, but, right. Yeah. But once she said that it was almost like, yeah, that's exactly what this always was. And I thought I just needed another creativity book for my business but I see people in business probably need this book just as much as they needed that, if if at all. You know, absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right. That's really good. But I think you just hit something on. It's funny, you know, when I published my first book, it was like, I've never done this before. This is you know, let's see what happens. And and then it got into the world, and everybody likes it. And you're like, well, I'll just write another one. And then when you're writing that second one, it's like, well, it's not as good as the first one. Or oh, you know, this, you know that that's really it's interesting. Success actually is a is actually kind of will slow you down sometimes because you think, well, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to have a, a bummer, right? I've done this good one. I want to do I another good one. Feel good. I don't want to feel bad. You yeah. Know, I don't want to, I don't want to, yeah. Long, long time. And I, you know, I think, well, now I've got it. It may take me a long, long time still, you know? Right. Right. But I feel strong about the book. You know, I write a lot of music. Uh, I do a lot of now since COVID, it seems like it's, you know, it's a, it's a reality. It's not just something that was for a couple of months. I notice that corporations are kind of coming out of their hibernation and calling on me a lot more often. So we, we run a lot of these sessions on zoom, which I was always concerned about. Will it have the emotional impact, sort of the visceral impact that the live ones do. And, you know, while it's not the same experience, it definitely gets across. And in some ways it's advantageous because people are isolated in their homes. Right. They're so eager for a differentiated experience. That makes a lot of sense. So, yeah. Yeah. I know. That, and I also became a grandfather. So that's tough. Oh, congratulations. Wow. That's fun. <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah, I'm not there yet, but uh, at some, at yeah, some point. Yeah. It's great. Let me tell you. That's awesome. So how can people find out more about you, your music, your company, this book? Yeah, I mean, What's the I'm best way to find? You know, too much of my stuff, you know, too much of me and me, me on the Internet. Which is yeah. Peter Himmel, when you type it in, uh, Big Muse, it's bigmuse.com. And you'll find out a lot about it. And that book, Let Me Out, is, is you know, it's on Amazon now. It used to be in stores. I don't know what they're carrying in stores anymore. But Nobody goes to stores, right? I mean, they had my book in there for a few months, and then, like, you know, you're out. Right, right. Next next up, goes. next up, right? Yeah, <laughs> so. so, all good. Well, it, yeah, I highly encourage those that are listening to pick this book up. Uh, I, I Again, I, I, I always believe in dash, what I call Dashboard University. I'm always learning why I'm in my car driving around, and I really like the Audible version of this. You read it. Um, I think you really, um, you know, really resonated with me, just you reading the book and, and kind of me imagining you in these scenarios and these situations yeah, and stories. Nice. And, and I absolutely great. love it. So I really do encourage everyone to pick up this book because I think it's, you know, it's interesting. One of the things I have a friend, uh, John Brubaker, always says the best ideas 
come out come from outside your industry. And that's why I wanted to have on the show, have you on the show, because the best ideas for our businesses come from outside of our business. And this is a great example of that. That uh, you're coming from a completely different side, a completely different world, the world of music, and you're coming into the world of business. And I think there's so much that we can learn from what what you have experienced and how you've translated that to us. I think it's really an important book because of that. I always thought that's a good, uh, you know, that was a good, one of my value propositions. You know, it's, it's a really good way to learn something from outside whatever sphere it is that, that has the same relationship, but coming from a different perspective, it's a, just an easier way to implant information because it's full of surprise and delight. Yes. Which is something that human beings respond favorably to as opposed to, damn, get me out of here. Right. Right. Surprise, delight. And I think the stories too, they they resonate. You can, you can imagine your emotions as you're listening to these stories. And I think that those really do, teach when you when you have a good story it, it really teaches the lesson even even more well very good well i'm going to put all the links uh of, to all of your um your website and yeah, everything yeah, send in me the, the link i'll send it around to my people yeah and i'll put this in the show notes so everybody can so but reach out uh the book is uh let me out and i do think it's one of the best out there and i really like it from a creativity standpoint opening up your creativity and uh, remember that we're all creative uh, as business leaders. And uh, this is a really good book. So thank you, for, Peter, for coming on the show and uh, sharing all of your knowledge. To be on here with you. It's great. And we'll stay in touch, I hope. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Got a lot to talk about. Yeah, we do. Outstanding. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business, spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women.